Have you ever had someone look at you with disgust? It's hard to describe because it can be so subtle. But you know it, painfully, terribly know it when it happens. They take a deep breath. Slowly, and as they do, their body expands, shoulders widen, and neck elongates. Their nostrils flare. For a moment, you are the center of their world of thought. Not ignored. (laughs) Not invisible. The focus, and this is what is so hard to describe, but you just know it when it happens. There's that look. It might be a slight nodding of the head or the jaw set slightly to one side. The eyelids squint. The upper lip moves a little bit too. And they bite their tongue. And there, with a blink, a flicker of contempt, your worth is assessed. Not a single word is spoken between you but they've communicated as clearly as they shouted it, you're disgusting. Dismissed. Disposable. That's a good word for it. I was always disposable to men, especially the religious leaders. Of course, there are words that come with these looks, too. They're not worth repeating here, of course. I'm sure you can imagine what they might call someone like me. A poor woman with no prospects. A woman without a husband and a sinner at that. (laughs) I lived being looked at with disgust. But do you know what I feared most? more than when I'd be able to eat from day to day, or how I'd pay off my debts, or what I'd have to do to make the money to pay those debts back. More than anything I feared, to look at Jesus because of the way that the Pharisees looked at me. I could bear the look from those self-proclaimed religious men, even though their scorn caused me great pain. I learned to live with their disgust. Most of us had to because there was nothing we could do to please them anyway. You don't have to be a scribe to understand that some of them threw their own shame upon me because it was their own acts towards me that made me a sinner in the first place. I I watched him, you know, from a distance as he walked the outskirts of the city, greeting children, touching the sick, laughing with those set free from demons or cancer, even leprosy. He healed people of everything. It was incredible. And I didn't have to be a religious person to see that Jesus was sent from God into this world. But I I I kept my distance because, well, I I couldn't abide the thought of having the Messiah look at me in the same way that the Pharisees looked at me. If he was disgusted, I'd know it. And 
If his famous love for the poor didn't fall upon me, I'd see it. I, I stayed away from him until I could no longer stay away. I had to know. I will never forget when he first looked at me. I walked through the crowd, timid as a mouse, trying to hide myself in the throng of the people. But suddenly the crowd moved as he stood and he turned and seemed almost by chance that our eyes met. I, I didn't care what anyone else says. It was like that story from Joshua when the sun stood still and time stopped and he just looked at me. There was no disgust. There was no disdain. I was seen, really seen. And my friends, he didn't look away. His eyes were full of love. He smiled with happiness to see me, like I was a long lost friend. Somehow he knew exactly who I was. Everything I'd done, the bad, the sin, and the good too, and he didn't look away. He reached out his hand and he smiled and called me daughter. Not a woman lost to sin. None of the other names people always called me but daughter. And I think you've heard the rest of my story. I can't believe how many people knew it about my alabaster jar of perfume, how I entered his house where Jesus visited for a feast, and how I washed his feet with my tears as I wept. This was my first Christmas, right there in a forgotten town. He wasn't a sweet babe, wrapped in swaddling clothes or lying in straw. The Jesus I met was a man surrounded by people who wanted his attention and help. Jesus met me in my forgottenness and shame and looked at me with love. At the house of Simon the Pharisee, where I couldn't restrain the love of God that changed my world. In an instant, a pure, pure love, a forgiving love, a love that set me free. Today, as you ponder Advent, remember, Jesus sees you when he looks at you with love. Praise the Lord. This woman didn't really expect Jesus to look at her in this way with eyes of love, did she? 
She knew what she deserved, that shame. But what was she confronted with? Eyes of love. In the face of her deepest shame, what she knew she deserved, what she found was love, and it was such a love that it compelled her to worship. And that's what happens. When we encounter love, it compels us to worship. And, and it was a costly worship, her worship. That alabaster box would have been a year's wages that she poured out upon the feet of Jesus in the face of the Pharisees, the religious leaders that had condemned her. Jesus didn't look at her that way, did he? He was delighted with her worship that she brought to him and brought him joy. And sometimes I think that we think that God, does he really, I I understand he wants her worship or his worship, but does he really want mine? Look at what I've done. Look at what I battle. Does he really want mine? And so today we're talking about this beautiful gift of love. And there are, there's, this is just going to be a short devotional, trying to get you out of here, like we said, by 11. But there's three action words associated with the unconditional love of God that I want us just to quickly walk through today. And the first is receive. We must receive the gift of love that he gave. He has offered it to whosoever will to anyone that would call upon him. It is a gift that is open to anyone, but we have to receive it, right? He doesn't force it upon you. We have to receive the love. And so in 1 John chapter 4, it says this in verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Ooh, relationship is what we're talking about. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Here's the truth. God is love. God is love. He just doesn't act like love or look like love. He is love. If you were to check under a microscope of what he consisted of, you would find love. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. This is powerful. The God of the universe who is love abides in you and us in him. This is all about relationship, all about relationship. This is what this woman found at the feet of Jesus, relationship with the one that truly loved her and accepted her and forgave her. God is love. And here's how he demonstrated his love, that he is love, right? Here's how he demonstrated it in Romans 5. Now, hope does not disappoint 
because the love of God has been poured out. He just dumps it. It's kind of like I, I had bought two trees on Clarence, real trees. I wanted for my pots on the side, my side porch. And I had some old stuff in it, old dirt and the water. And I wanted to just pour a little bit out. And Darren, who's standing on the porch, is like, what are you doing as a whole big mud thing came pouring out of it? Listen, this is the way it is. God can't just trickle love out a little bit. Let me just give you a little. When he goes to tip it, it comes out as a force upon your life. It has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Praise the Lord. For when we, this is, and here's the, here's the hope in this. When we were still without strength, how many of you can remember that, that point in life when you felt weak, without strength? There's nothing within me I can, there's just nothing. Yet when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then here's the truth of it. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Right? How many of you, yes, I will, Connie's sitting there with her arm around Lila. Yes, I would die for Lila, right? But scarcely will a man die for a righteous, for somebody you love and desire to die for. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God is different. He demonstrated that he is love in that while we were still sinners, while we still did not deserve it, he died for us. And so we can sit here and say, I'm not worthy of it. He could never do that for me. The truth is, is that for each and every one of us, not one of us deserved it. Not one of us. And this is love. That when we don't deserve it, he poured it out. Love costs something. Right? Love costs. He came. He didn't just say, oh, I love all the little children of the world. No. He demonstrated it cost him something by coming into the, that world and dying for us. There's an illustration here I want to read, a story of two children. Helen, an eight-year-old, and Brian, a five-year-old, Brandon, a five-year-old. Their father took them to the mall for a little shopping, and driving up, they saw a sign for a petting zoo. And so the kids are, yes, Daddy, can we go to the petting zoo? Can we go, please? Can we go? Sure, I said, flipping them both a quarter before going into Sears. Anybody remember Sears? <laughs> they bolted away, and I felt free to take my time looking for a scroll saw. A few minutes later, I turned around, and I saw Helen walking along behind me. I was shocked to see she preferred the hardware department to the petting zoo. Yeah. I quickly realized my error, and I bent down and asked her, what is wrong? She looked up at me with those giant brown eyes and said sadly, well, Daddy, it cost 50 cents. 
So I gave Brandon my quarter. Then she said the most beautiful thing I ever heard. She repeated our family motto. And the family motto is love in action. She had given Brandon her quarter, and no one loves cuddly, furry creatures more than Helen. She had watched us do and say, love is action for years around the house. She had heard and seen love is action, and now she had incorporated it into her little lifestyle. It had become part of her. Eight years old. What do you think I did? Well, not what you might think. As soon as I finished my errands, I took Helen to the petting zoo, and we stood by the fence and watched Brandon go crazy petting and feeding the animals. Helen stood with her hands and chin resting on the fence and just watched Brandon. I had 50 cents burning a hole in my pocket. I never offered it to Helen, and she never asked for it because she knew the whole family motto. It's not love is action. It's love is sacrificial action. Love always pays a price. Love always costs something. Love is expensive. When you love, benefits accrue to another's account. Love is for you, not for me. Love doesn't grab, it gives. Helen gave her quarter to Brandon and wanted to taste the sacrifice. She wanted to experience the total family motto. Love is sacrificial action. Because it's easy and fun to love the people in our lives that we love, naturally. It's easy and fun for me to love my daughter. It doesn't really cost me anything to love her. I enjoy loving her. But you know, a couple weeks ago, I commented to Darren. I said, you know what? I've learned. I feel like the Lord's really taught me this year about sacrificial, unconditional love. In relationships in my life where it has been a one-way love, and it's been nothing in return, it's a painful love, it's a sad love. It's a hard love. It's a love that costs you something because you have to keep choosing to love that person and express love to that person knowing that you will not get nothing in return. It's sacrificial love. Love costs something. So we have to receive the sacrificial love of Christ. And the second one here that we need to do is we need to really believe in God's love. And you say, well, that doesn't make sense. If I've received God's love, surely then I believe it. Here's something that David Wilkerson, if you, anybody know David Wilkerson, he was the founder of Teen Challenge. He said this, the daily walk of many Christians is not one of believing in God's love. Instead, they live under a cloud of guilt, fear, and condemnation. 
God did not save you to live in condemnation. And I think what happens is, is that we have a general belief, God, yeah, God loves me. But there's one area of our life. There may be that one failure. There may be that one continual struggle that you have to overcome. And what the truth is, is that we really sometimes have trouble believing that God could love us in spite of that thing. Because what we feel with that thing is guilt and condemnation. And if we're really honest about it, we have a hard time truly believing that God would love us with this weakness that we carry. Because it's hard for me to love my own self in that weakness. How could God? But what does it say? While we were still sinners. And at some point, you got to really believe that God's love is unconditional. That it, it's not just because he loves me in general, but it's because of this very weakness that I have that he came and he died for me. He came and poured out his love for me. It's because of the one weakness. The one thing that you despise in your life is the very thing that caused Christ to come as a baby and die for you. That is powerful love. We got to believe when we feel the most unworthy, the most unlovable, and the most undesirable is the moment to say, I have received his love and now I believe his love. Psalm 103 gives a beautiful picture of it. Bless the Lord and all that is within me. Bless his name. Bless the Lord and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all. Everybody say all. Your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. And then what he does is he crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies you with good things, and he renews your life. Listen, he came and he took your one, that one place of shame, and he crowned it with loving kindness. And you got to stop looking at that weakness as shame and condemnation, and recognize the crowning of loving kindness and tender mercies on that weakness. That is the unconditional love of God. And so this morning, we're going to pause right here in our second action word. And I'm going to ask the team to come up and I'm going to ask the ushers to begin to distribute communion. Because what we want to do here, we have received his love and we have believed his love. And so what we want to do in this Christmas Eve morning is to celebrate that love over the table of the Lord. And so as we partake of communion today, what we're saying is I'm recognizing the cost of love that Jesus gave. Because here, here's the power of it, that Jesus was not forced to do this, to sacrifice. When Jesus was in the garden and the betrayer came, Judas, and he turned him over to the soldiers. You remember it says one of the disciples drew out their sword 
and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus rebuked him and said, hold on a minute. Do you think, do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Listen, guys, nobody is taking my life. At any time, I can call down a defense team. Nobody is taking my life. I am giving it. I am giving it. He gave it for you. He could have called down heaven at any point. He was not forced to do it, but he chose to love. He chose to love. And as we are in celebrating the table of the Lord, I love, this is one of my favorite verses in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, and hear this, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. As we come to the table of the Lord, we do it recognizing that the whole motivation for it was the joy of you and me. Jesus chose to walk the path of the cross because he saw you on the other side of it. And the joy of relationship with you, not just saving you, not just forgiving you, he was after a relationship with you. He was saying, wait, on the other side of this, we will be one. We will abide with one another in love when I get through this. And so as we come to this table, we take up the bread. And the night that Jesus was betrayed, listen, he loved Judas, even as he was betrayed by Judas. He took the bread and he gave thanks. He broke it and said, take it eat this is my body which was broken for you this body was broken for you that he could redeem the broken relationship that we had with God and as we partake of the bread what it does is it takes and redeems all of the broken places his broken body mends our broken places. And so today, Jesus, we look you fully in the face. We gaze into your eyes of love. That is, you willingly chose to have your body broken for us. 
we receive it. We receive that sacrifice and we believe it. For every deep weakness, for every deep failure, for the deepest places of sin and condemnation that people carry in this room, thank you, Lord, that your love goes to that very place through your broken body and heals and restores. And so let's partake of the body of Christ together. And Jesus, in the same manner, took the cup and said, this, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And the good news is that those deepest places of shame, failure, condemnation, the blood of Christ cleanses and washes it all away. It is no longer who you are. It is no longer for you to bear and to carry, for the blood of Christ is more powerful than any condemnation, more powerful than any sin, any shame. There is power in his blood to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Everybody say it, all all unrighteousness. That's not your neighbor's unrighteousness. That's your unrighteousness. That's my unrighteousness. And so Jesus, as we take up the cup of the covenant, we offer our deepest wounded places. We offer our shame. We offer our condemnation. We offer our guilt. And we say here, you take it and let your blood cover it and cleanse us and wash us from every bit of that unrighteousness. Let's partake together. And then will you just stand with me and let's just, can we worship? He's done an amazing work. Can we just worship him for a few moments together?